First, let me say what an incredible day today is. And thank you so much for being here to share in that. It's really almost impossible to take all of this in, and so I am grateful that you are here to take it in with me and to take it forward with us. Today seems like almost an impossible gathering of blessings all in one place, and what a place this is. Asbury has been a place of formation and transformation for so many. This very room, Estes Chapel, has been a crucible of holiness. It certainly has been holy ground for me. Asbury has been a place of the heroes of my faith, some of whom are sitting here on the platform with me today. And to be called Dean of Chapel, that means sharing that designation with some of the most Christ-like and humble people that I have known. Twelve years ago, Asbury trained me, transformed me, and sent me forth in what I assumed would be a permanent parting. <laughs> and then it came as a total surprise, as God's plans often do, you know that, that Wilmore once again moved from a place in our rearview mirror and became a destination as our family moved here from Texas in June. But it has certainly been a happy surprise and one filled with many blessings, and today is certainly a blessing at the top of that list. When I arrived here in mid-June, I found that our summer chapels had both the blessing and the unique challenge of being only 30 minutes long. I say it was a unique challenge since keeping just the sermon under 30 minutes is a challenge for some among us. We won't name any names of who that might be, <laughs> much less keeping an entire service that short. It seemed like those summer services seemed shorter to some than others, because some Wednesdays at the end of a 30-minute service, I, I would look up after the benediction and find the startled eyes of one of our international students, looking at me quizzically as if to say, is that it? <laughs> it's over already? And when I would have a chance to approach one of those new friends from around the world, I've tried to make sure to take a moment and ask, what is worship like in your home country? I've heard some wonderful descriptions already, descriptions of prayers that spill over each other like waterfalls, about dancing in and around and up and down the aisles. Uh, one told me that an hour the length that we tend to think a standard worship service should last here in the U.S., in an hour, they would have only just gotten to the singing and dancing. They would have just started warming up for the real thing. And my startled question in response, I couldn't hold it back, was, wow, how long does worship last where you're from? That's an interesting question if you ever have a chance to ask it of someone. Someone from another culture or country, even just another denomination or background, how long does worship last? A Nigerian friend told me that typical services in their home last three to four hours, and that in one of their home churches, Sunday can almost literally be called the Lord's Day, because they begin worship at 8 a.m. and are still worshiping at 1 p.m. Think about it, you can show up for the 8 o'clock service, the 9.30 service. <laughs> the 11 o'clock service, and they're all the same service. 
long does worship last? I mean, the answer to that varies from place to place, from tradition to tradition. And in the three months that I have been in this role now, I've heard many opinions and thoughts and advice about what worship should be like here in Estes Chapel. It won't come as a surprise to you that in a community full of what some people think of as professional Christians, we tend to have a lot of strong opinions about worship. And we are not shy about sharing them. And those opinions tend to vary widely from person to person. But one opinion that I've gotten seems to be the same across the board. Make sure we get out of here in time for lunch. (laughs) So let's answer that question once and for all. How long should worship last? Depending on your perspective, this answer may either delight or disappoint. But I certainly hope that worship will last well beyond an hour. I hope it will last into lunchtime. I hope that worship that happens here in Estes Chapel will last into our time for afternoon classes and long after it's time for us to return home for the day. I hope that because of what happens here in this room, you will still be worshiping at your desk, your dinner table, in your family room, and at your pillow tonight. What we do here in worship has the potential to transform us. And so I hope that worship will not cease when we walk out of these doors. I hope it will not cease when you graduate from this place. This season of transformation is one that should so impact your life. The the songs that you sing, the sermons you hear, the prayers that you pray, that the effect they have on your faith will still be echoing through the mission fields that you serve years from now. We should be different because of worship. That difference should last. And the world should be different because of the difference in us. How long should worship last? John caught a glimpse of true worship, and it was the lasting kind. In fact, it was eternal. Behold, he says, a door standing open to heaven. I mean, just standing open. You'd think they'd lock up the place, protect the valuables. There are certainly plenty of them there. There are thrones and descriptions of precious gems and white garments and golden crowns, all of this treasure, and they've just left the door standing open? And the good thing is no one has to worry about the valuables there because those who catch a glimpse through that door, they only have eyes for the one seated on the throne. And do they have a lot of eyes? These living creatures somehow have eyes all throughout, within, around. Not even one of those eyes is glancing at the crowns. They are staring straight into the depth of holiness and grace that is the Lamb seated before them on the throne. C.S. Lewis said it so well, how little people, who th- how little people know who think that holiness is dull when one meets the real thing It is irresistible. These amazing creatures 
they find holiness irresistible. They can't stop singing about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they say, who was and is and is to come. And when those creatures begin praising God, well, the 24 elders can't be left out. They leave their thrones, take off their golden crowns, and cast them before God and proclaim, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. How long does worship last? Day and night, John says. It never ceases. It goes on forever and ever. You'll remember that John was exiled. He was banned to a lonely island, persecuted, destitute, alone for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John's world had become so small, a tiny island isolated in a great sea. But in worship, just just a glimpse through that door standing open into heaven, John's world became so much bigger than that island. Bigger than his isolation, bigger than his problems, bigger than his circumstances. In fact, we know so little about the physical condition he was in, and we know so much about the glimpse that he caught through that door and into heaven. He wanted to tell us about that magnificent vision of worship, not his struggles on earth. That's what worship does. It pulls us in through that door. No matter what's going on in our world, we have an open door to heaven where we worship. And Christians have long suffered in prisons made by human hands and in prisons of our own making. But when we worship, a door is opened for us. And our world becomes so much bigger. Worship that lasts is worship where our eyes are drawn to the throne again and again. Thirteen years ago today, September 11th, 2001, the world was rocked by the worst terrorist attacks that this country has ever known. And many of you will remember exactly where you were. I was here, sitting on the left side, about where you are, fourth pew back. My roommate had turned on the TV that morning, and our world was falling apart. And somehow, somehow without communicating across this community, somehow without the benefit of social media and with very few cell phones, people began to gather in this room. We didn't tell each other that's what we were doing. We just, we showed up in this room. We wanted to be here together. We wanted to pray together. We wanted to cry together. We wanted to ask hard questions. We wanted to look through that open door and see that the throne was still standing and that God was still on it. Our worship doesn't take away the reality of this world, but it leaves a door open and reminds us that this is not the only world that there is and that this world is not our only hope. Worship that lasts then is worship that has us captivated at the throne of God. Behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Notice that it's not a window. It's a door. John could have said, look, a window into heaven. That's pretty poetic, right? Look, a a glimpse, a tiny peephole, a, a small vision of what God is doing. But 
We're not invited just to watch what's going on there in heaven. Somehow, in our worship, we enter, we participate. They've left the door open for us. And it's the eternal worship of heaven through the door where no one there seems to be asking when the service will end. Their song just keeps going and going into eternity. And while I'm sure there have been times in the church where we've all felt like worship would go on for an eternity, here the picture given us in Revelation is actually true. Here, through this door, we see the 24 elders falling on their faces. They, they just can't get enough of God. They can't even keep their crowns on because nothing matters except the one who is on the throne. Those 24 who represent the 12 Hebrew tribes, the 12 Christian apostles, the old Israel and the new church. What a diverse group they are. How did they ever agree on what song to sing together? (laughs) I can't seem to find anywhere in this text if their worship is ancient or traditional, if it's contemporary or emergent. I can't I can't find anywhere in the text what style of music they're singing. Is there an organ in heaven? Alvin would say yes. (laughs) Is there an electric bass? Are there drums? When they sing, holy, 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 I, I can't tell if they're singing the version that we sang today from the hymnal from 1861, or whether they're singing Revelation song, a la Carrie Job 2009. They don't seem to be engaged in a debate with one another over what style of worship to practice. In fact, they don't seem to be much engaged with each other at all. Their direction is Godward. They only have eyes for the throne. My friend uh, John Thornburg is a pastor and a hymn writer whose unique gifts have made him a curator of church music. John's hymns have appeared in at least 18 hymnals by now. But he says the one of which he is most proud is the hymnal of the Church of the African Nation of Cameroon. In 2009, he traveled to Cameroon to work with the leaders of the church there to collect the songs being sung in pockets around the country and churches around the nation and to assemble them into the first ever Cameroonian hymnal. He described that process to me that Each person on their committee would go out into the Cameroonian churches, would listen there and gather songs that people were singing in worship, and that they would bring those songs back to the team gathered together to to decide if they could be included in the hymnal. And John says that he would get so excited about these new songs that he was learning He would record them from his African brothers and sisters. He would excitedly bring the songs back to the table And as part of the process, he would have the group sing through it together. And then, well, in John's words, working out of his American DNA, he would ask them eagerly, do you like it? Do you like it? And they never answered him. They looked at him with with blank faces as if they didn't understand the question he was asking. And finally, after two or three times this happened, and he kept asking, do you like it? One of them finally got up the nerve to say, Reverend, we are bound to ask a different question. We do not ask, do you like it? We ask, can God use it? And that makes me think with conviction 
of hundreds of conversations I've had over lunch after church on Sunday. How was worship today? Did you like it? How was a sermon? How'd you like it? How about that worship music? Do you like it? If you haven't noticed, we tend to ask all the wrong questions about worship. But I want to tell you that here, in our community, in this chapel, we have been given a gift. Because nowhere else in the world, as far as I can tell, does one community gather as frequently as we do for worship, but with different preachers, different music, different elements, different styles almost every single time. And while in our local churches we tend to drift towards our own preferences, visiting church after church and asking, do you like it, until the answer is yes, here we get to face again and again the death of the idol of preference. What a beautiful gift to be forced outside of ourselves to close the doors on our own likings and preferences and stare instead into that door standing open to heaven and not ask, do you like it? But ask instead, does God like it? And that has a lot more to do with what's going on in here during worship than anything going on out there. I I grew up in a little Methodist church southwest of Houston. That was such a blessing. And in that church, it meant being part of a fantastic and loving community that nurtured me to Christ. It also meant listening to a lot of really bad sermons over the years. Somehow, though, those bad sermons called me into ministry. Many of you have some sweet call story that ends with you saying some beautifully holy words like, Dear God, here I am, send me. And mine was born sometime in the third grade in the midst of those bad sermons, and it was more like, Dear God, I think I can do better than that. What a surprise to follow this calling and find that what God wanted to make better was me. A big part of making us better happens in worship. When our eyes are off of ourselves long enough that we can look through that door standing open, the door he opened for us, for he is the door. When our focus is off of that tiny island of individuality where we've been exiled into isolation by our circumstances, where our mouths hang open in awe of the eternal one who was and is and is to come, and then are filled with praise for the eternal one on the throne. When we get a chance to join with all nature in manifold witness, that That is worship that lasts and lasts. It it echoes in the transformation of our lives and in our world. And it echoes through that doorway and joins our song with the holy song of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.